All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Ironside podcast with me, Brett Kane. And joining me today is my brother, Rowan. And uh, super excited to have you on, Rowan. So yeah, let's let's get right into it. Tell us about yourself. I'm, I'm super excited to be here, Brett. This is uh, really fun. Um, my name is Rowan. I, uh, um, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, Kind of hopped around all over the place. I started out in California, uh, moved to New Jersey when I was about 12. Um, from there, I yeah, I lived there for like middle school and high school. Um, <clears throat> served my mission in, in Rome, uh, in the Rome Italy mission. Came back, um, started going to school for English. Uh, that's where I met my wife, Isabel. Um, and from there, we... We got married, uh, moved out to Utah so I could go to BYU um, to keep studying English, specifically to teach high school. Decided that wasn't for me. And so I, I dropped out and I'm going, I'm doing HVAC right now, which is like air conditioning and furnaces and that sort of thing. Man, that it's awesome. That It's so cool. I think that the best thing is that you're always doing something, whether that's going to school, uh, that's not really feeling that, okay, you you drop out. And when people think dropping out of college, they think like couch surfing, Cheetos, you know, like just <laughs> hanging out, but no, you're, you're getting after it with the, the HVAC. And, and that's, that's awesome work. Uh, I do uh, maintenance for the school district here. And last year they had to replace all the filters in 25 different schools so I got to work with the HVAC guys there and not doing anything super technical, but just replacing the filters. I'm like, man, this is awesome. You got these big units there and it's, yeah. that's exciting stuff. So what have you liked about HVAC so far? Um, I like that it's work mostly. Um, I, I grew up in a, in a really weird family. Um, so they were very academic, but also very hands-on. My grandfather got his degree in um, like set design uh, for, for theater. Um, and so like all of his background is in like art, but very like hands-on applicable art, right? He, he did a lot of like set construction. He was building things for the set. And so he has, um, that's, that's what his background is. And so it's very academic, but it's also very hands-on. And when I was growing up, I, I lived with my grandparents, my mom and I, and he was, he was a handyman at that point. And that's just what he was doing his whole life. And so that's, um, that's the household that I grew up in. And I didn't really think of myself as like a very hands-on person. I like to read. I like to, I don't know, watch movies, all that stuff. But I, I didn't really enjoy engaging with that. But I've, I've discovered since then that I really enjoyed working with my hands. Um, and that that's something I really missed about being in my home, even though I didn't like it at the time. Um, and so it's something that I was thinking about for a really long time as I was going through college was like, man, like doing a trade just sounds really fun. Um, and so that's the thing that I like. I honestly could be doing anything. I didn't pick HVAC because it was some special calling or anything. I just like that. I have the opportunity to do something where I'm, I'm building things. I'm, I'm putting together things. I'm, I'm looking at something that's real and exists and I can diagnose it and I can say this, this seems to be what's going on here. I can, you know, take an old furnace out, take it apart, put a new furnace in. It's, it's not the most 
glorious work in any way. Like I, I, I personally don't really care that much about air conditioning. It's not something I'm invested in. Um, honestly, like some of the time with, with the families that we're working with, I, I feel like I feel a little weird because I'm just like, dang, you're really freaking out about not having your AC. It's not that big of a deal, but it is to them. And um, it's, it's work that I'm happy to do. And, and it sucks sometimes, but that's okay because it's work. And I like the work that I'm doing. That's mostly it. So are you doing mostly residential or, or some commercial? Yeah, I, I do primarily residential. Um, we, we do a little bit of commercial work, mostly just for people that we know. Um, so like my boss has some friends that, you know, if, if they own a business or like, we're really close with our supplier. And so like when they have something going on with their furnace, they, they call us. Um, and so then we got to climb up, you know, this massive ladder and take a look at those rooftop units and it's, it's fun. That's really cool. So Rome, Italy, what, what was that like? Were you, were you there? during the temple construction or or after <laughs> yeah i was i was actually um so the joke was what was funny is i i brought my temple bag with me i i was like the the temple's being constructed i'm gonna bring my temple bag like one of these days i'm gonna go to the temple and then i get into the mission field and everyone's like oh man look at this greenie he brought his temple bag it was so cute and i was like well like they said the temple would probably be finished while it was here he's like yeah they told us that too and i'm about to go home so <laughs> Um, so yeah, I was, I was there during construction, um, sort of, there was a lot of hassle and difficulty with, um, navigating, uh, construction companies and stuff in Italy. It's just like, there were a lot of things that just weren't up to standard. And so the construction was actually paused for most of my time there. Um, about, about three months in, they, they had stopped and about three months before I went home, they started construction again. Um, so it was, it was always a hope. It was something that was on the horizon and it was something that we all were really excited for, for the people that we were serving. Um, but I'm, I'm really happy that it's done now and that people have the opportunity to go. Um, that temple is really special to me as well, because, uh, my wife, uh, as, as you know, is a convert, um, her, her parents are not at all interested in the gospel. But when she was going to the temple, um, she brought her father with her and he, he waited outside because he works in New York City. Um, and that day or like the day before that day, they had released the video tour for the Rome Temple. Um, it was the first time they'd ever done a video tour like that. And um, the one of the people at the temple was able to show her father, my father-in-law uh, at this point, um, this video tour of temple and kind of explaining everything that was happening and, and um, an explanation of, of what we do in the temple. And so even though he wasn't able to go in, um, he still had a really good experience at the temple. Um, thanks in part, not entirely, but a little bit, I like to think to the Rome temple. And, and that just feels really special to me. That's awesome. And that's such a good testament to your vision as a missionary because I mean, you were, you know, planting trees that you you would never get to enjoy the shade from, and I think that that's a a cool idea. You know, we don't always get to see the fruit, uh, but it doesn't mean that we can stop planting. Yeah, yeah, 
and it, it's not easy, but it's it's worth doing. And I think, you, you know, for me, like my mission was was very difficult. I I didn't see a lot of like measurable success. I guess um, I taught maybe a handful of lessons, and you know, just did didn't work with a lot of people, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I take comfort in the fact that I, I know that I was doing the Lord's work and, and that's what matters to me. I don't know what that work was. I was just doing my best. I was doing everything I could do. And I don't know what results that has, but that, that doesn't matter. That's not, that's not my job to think about. My job is to do my best. Um, and as long as I've done that, I can rest easy and know that the Lord will make my best enough. Absolutely. And, you know, just this week in Come Follow Me, we read uh, in Dr. Cummins uh, section 123, verse 17, that says, let us do cheerfully all things that lie within our power, and then may we stand still. You know, it's like, just do what you, you can and do it cheerfully. And then you can stand still and be like, all right, God, God will, yeah. will do the rest. Yeah. And, and I really like that. I find that very comforting. To, to me, that's the, the, that is the most powerful aspect of the atonement, right? Is that Jesus Christ has enabled us to, to be enough. <laughs> that whatever we do, as long as we do it in the name of Christ and, and do it with faith and hope, that it will be enough. Absolutely. You know, and that was one thing that a member of the bishopric said today in church was that you know, it's not requisite that a man should run faster than he is able, but we have to be diligent, you know? So it's like, yeah, of course, don't run faster than you can, but you should run if you can, and then <laughs> run as fast as you can, not faster, but certainly not slower than we're able to. And that's the coolest thing because, you know, Christ can take whatever we have and make something out of it. He can take you know, three talents or five talents or 10, you know, what, whatever we can bring to the table, uh, he can do a lot. We, you know, we bring a couple fishes and a couple crusts of bread and he can feed a multitude. Yeah. What I really like about that too, is that sometimes people in other Christian denominations will uh, misunderstand us and think, oh, you think that your works save you. You're trying to do all these things because they'll, they'll point uh, to second Nephi where it says, you know, we're saved by grace after all that we can do. And that phrase, all we can do, they, they kind of latch onto that, but it's cool to see that phrase repeated by King Lamoni and the, the people of Ammon when they're converted because King Lamoni says, Wherefore, it was all that we could do to repent sufficiently. Like, man, it's it's really cool. I, I love the scriptures. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful, and and the consistency across them, and, and the ways that I, I remember a, a few years ago there was a talk in general conference about, um, <clears throat> you know, the idea of the Book of Mormon being a second point. Right? You draw one, you put one point on a graph, and you can draw an infinite number of lines. You put two points on a graph, and there's only one line that you can. And obviously in, a, in something as multidimensional and complex as the gospel, that's not quite the case. There are plenty of splinter groups and differences of thought and, and alternative approaches to 
the two books that we have, but we don't just have two books, right? We have, we have so much more, right? We have a living, growing, constantly um, enlarging gospel, right? And so there's always more to learn. There's always more to expand upon. And as we understand, or right, like we as a church did not understand that scripture in its entirety until fairly recently, right? We have been wrestling with that concept and trying to understand that concept forever, right? Like, like people in the 70s had a very different idea of what that meant than we do now. Um, and it's because we're not perfect, but we can evolve and grow and change that that's possible, right? We don't have this finite, like this is what this means. Like, this is what I think it means. This is what I hope it means. I'm fairly confident based on all of my knowledge that this is what it means but I'm always waiting for new light and truth from my Lord. Um, and I am always happy to receive it when it comes. It's not always easy. <laughs> um, and there have been many times where I have been, I, I've thought that I knew everything, right? I thought that I knew what was going on. I thought that my in interpretation was correct. And then something comes along and says, no, you're wrong. Um, sorry, <laughs> but like you are 100% wrong. Um, there's no debate here. There's no interpretation. You're wrong. Um, and that's very eye-opening, right? Um, and, and it's, it's helped me to realize that I need to stop doing that. I need to stop thinking that I have all the answers. I need to stop thinking that my interpretation is right. Um, I can, I can, again, as far as the information that I have, I think I know I'm, I think I know what I'm doing, but I, I need to always be open to new understanding because that is the only way that I can progress. If, if I close my mind off to everything, right? If, if we just say, nope, I'm, I'm done, I'm good. Uh, that's, that's how you fall away, right? Is when you say like, oh, well, my, my testimony is fine. It doesn't need any more growth. I'm good. I don't need to work on anything anymore. Um, that's, that's when you fall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I kind of said it better myself. And, you know, I, I've certainly met people who think that they've got a a pretty solid understanding of the gospel. Yeah, I don't need to go to church anymore. I've, I've got it, I, you know. Um, but like we just read in section 121 this week, that you know, if there's any degree of unrighteousness, you know, before we know it, ere we are aware, we are left unto ourselves to persecute the saints and fight against God. And, and you see those backslides all the time. You, know, you just can't be complacent. And that really applies to you because you, know, you kind of had a, a plan, going to go to school, going to study this, going to teach that, but you were open to a change. And I actually, you know, I'm, I'm kind of more interested in, in doing some hands-on stuff and, and doing some, some work. So I, I think that's cool to be able to apply that uh, to every aspect of life. Yeah. And I think um, just to touch on that a little bit, I know you mentioned earlier on that you're like, oh man, it's so cool that you're 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 always doing something. And and from my perspective, um, I don't really have a choice. <laughs> um, I'm a married man. Like I have a family to provide for. And granted, my family right now is just my wife, but I have a wife to provide for. And and she's doing her part, right? She's working hard. She's doing so much for us. And so I can't afford to just like sit back and let her do that a little bit, right? If 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 half of our family is doing everything they can, then it is, it would be disingenuous and, and ethically and morally wrong of me to just be like, okay, I'm going to let you do that while I figure out what's fun for me. Like, 
the, the decision that I made to drop out of college was not hasty or reckless in any way. I had been thinking about it for the entire time that I was at BYU, honestly. Um, looking at how feasible it would be, looking at whether or not I wanted to, whether or not I needed to. And, and there were a lot of things that went into that decision that, that were based on, like, what if things change? How can I best be a husband and hopefully potentially a father at some point? And so, like, dropping out of college wasn't just a decision for me. It was a decision for my, my path and my family's path of, like, this is what I need to do to best serve the people around me. Um, because I will, you, the, the problem with college is that I was not able to be there for my wife. Um, because I would, I, would, I would work and then I would go to school and then I would come home and I would do schoolwork. And then I would be so burnt out that I, I couldn't do anything. I, I, could, I could barely get myself to do like household chores. And then I would be even more burnt out and I couldn't like actually be there for my wife when she needed me. And so I needed to, I needed to step back and say, how can I do my responsibilities? How can I be a member of this family? Um, and the answer ended up being dropping out of college. Um, but it was an answer that came from making sure that I am doing the best that I can do um, to serve and to be with the people around me. I'm so glad that you were tracking on that too, because I think that there's a, a subtle and important difference to uh, the words efficient and efficacious. You, you know, it's, you, you really got to figure out what, what the, per and a lot of people uh, will use the phrase, you know, work smarter, not harder, because, yeah, I mean, you can be putting all your resources into this one thing that just really isn't going to, to bear fruit, you know, you're putting all eggs in this one basket that just isn't working, so I, I'm so impressed that you were able to make that transition and, and have uh, the, the humility and the drive uh, to look at other options, because a lot of people, like you said, you know, they'll just cruise, you know, they're trying to figure out, oh, what's fun for me? What do I want to do? Blah, 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 you know? Uh, so I think that's totally legit. And, and coming back to what we were talking about earlier, like that more cerebral approach to the hands-on, that, that's cool in, that uh, your grandpa kind of had a, a synthesis of both of those. And, and my dad, same thing. He uh, grew up on a farm. A turkey farm in Minnesota, one of 12 siblings, was really into sports, baseball, hockey, and then he went to college uh, to be a computer research scientist, and he built houses while he was in college, so it was kind of this kind of thing, and he worked, uh, you know, in, in kind of a, a techie job, I, I'm not good at the cerebral stuff, but, you know, all the coding and, and uh, research development for um, cell phones and stuff like that. And then now he retired from that and is building houses again and, and general contractors. So it's really cool to see that. And I, I was just thinking that it's, there's this kind of divorce that I think is really tragic because, you, you know, you talked about you like to watch movies and in, in movies they'll have like this kind of nerdy, you know, small guy and then the bad guy is like this, you know, super buff jock dude who's an idiot. And, you know, it's like, the, it's like, yeah. no, they, they don't have to be enemies. Like the, the, the <laughs> two sides to the, same, to the same coin, like you can be cerebral uh, and physical and you can be physical and, and expand your mind too. Yeah, I remember I, I saw this really cheesy quote um, 
on like social media the other day that was and, and this is totally cheesy i don't know if it's actually like based in history at all if, if it's actually from like an like a greek philosopher or something but um it was something along the lines of the idea that if you um like basically if you, if you have too much of one thing and the other you, you'll either have a society of like strong idiots or like like very intelligent cowards um and and that's not that's not right right like, like we know that our bodies are temples right and our physical bodies are just as important as our mind and so if if we are going to progress in in life it's really important to take care of all of those aspects of our life it's important to take care of our spiritual selves our, our mental selves and our physical selves and make sure that we're we're doing things that uplift and energize us in in if we're going to categorize them in all three of those categories absolutely you know i i'm really big in, into exercise and everything and i always feel like oh man you know am, am i being insensitive because there are people uh who do have physical limitations uh, given a variety of factors but i remember that there was a, a a church program that brought a bunch of wheelchairs to peru uh where i served my mission and all of these saints you know they they weren't talking about being confined to a wheelchair they were liberated by a wheelchair because they just didn't have access to that and you look at like the paralympics like there are phenomenal athletes who you know don't have their legs you know there are are swimmers without arms there's a champion muay thai fighter and i really like combat sports uh who who doesn't have an arm and and so there's really no excuse, especially if you you are whole, so to speak, that we, we got to be improving every day, no matter what our capacity. Like we were talking about earlier, you know, you don't have to run faster than you're able to, but you have to run as fast as you're yeah. able to. Yeah. And, and it's important to try. Right. And I, I really I really like that idea, especially because. Um, yeah, they're, they're I don't know where I was going with that thought, but um it's it's so valuable and important to recognize what you need and to take advantage of it right so like you know with the example of, of people with disabilities right like a wheelchair is a freeing thing it's something that enables you to go out and do things right and so i feel like often we think about um, our lives in terms of like what limits us and, and the limitations that we have. And it's so important, I think, to flip that around and, and look at, rather than looking at, at, at life in terms of what limits us, we, we, we need to think about what we can do and, and what tools we can access um, to make us more free, right? Um, if I guess my point is that there's no point in railing against the situation unless you're you're going to try and figure out some way to to handle it, to deal with it, right? So like, you know, something I'm working on right now is I have very limited schedule, right? And so like finding the time to work out and be physical is really hard for me. Um, and um, for a while I was thinking, oh, well, like I'm going to work out in the mornings, but the mornings are don't really work. Um, and so my first thought was, okay, well, if the mornings don't work, I need to find another time to do it. Um, and that was my first like approach of like, okay, what, what tools can I access, um, 
you know, in terms of time to enable me to do this thing that I want to do. Um, and the fact of the matter is I didn't have any other time. I, I need to work out in the mornings. And so my, my quest, I guess, my, my, my search right now is figuring out what tools I can access to help me work out at like the one time during the day that I have that I can set aside for that, that physical activity. Um, because I know it's important and I know I need to prioritize it. And so I, I don't think there's a single answer for everyone, but I think it's important to acknowledge when something isn't working and when, uh, and rather than like railing against your situation to say, okay, like how can I work within the boundaries that have been set for me, right? How can I use my limitations and, and take advantage of what I do have to maybe exceed that limitation that I, that I had initially perceived? That's super legit. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to find excuses. It's like, oh, I don't have really time, uh, you know, but I mean, there's, there's always time. Just last night I, I, I posted that it, when you're brushing your teeth in front of a mirror, that's a great time to do standing calf raises or, or something, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely find time just to make that, that little change. And we, we heard in general conference, you know, just that 1% improvement and I, I found that quote that I think you're talking about. Yeah, I, I don't know the, the uh, historicity or the validity of this quote, but it's, it's a good quote. It says, a nation that makes a great distinction between its scholars and its warriors will have its laws made by cowards and its wars fought by fools. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I, I think we are seeing an emergence of that in things like the idea of a warrior poet, you know, and which is a really cool uh, idea. Uh, have you read the book or, or seen the film Master and Commander? No, I haven't. Oh, dude, that's a legit movie. Highly recommend it. There's some, some good uh, naval warfare. This is during the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, and there's some good sword fighting in there. But there's this doctor who is also a warrior, a naturalist, and, and uh, there's this young sailor boy who kind of wants to be a naturalist as well. And he tells the doctor, he's like, I want to be like a fighting naturalist, like a fighting scientist. And so that's a, that's a cool aspiration. Yeah, I, uh, that was something that was always, that I struggled with growing up. I, um, my mother kind of forced me into martial arts a little bit. And at the time I super didn't want to, but it was free. And she was like, you're going, I'm going to make sure you go. Um, and one of, you know, at one point I approached her and I said, look, I, I, I feel like this really isn't for me um, because I just, I don't feel like, I feel like I am not this. I am someone who reads and, and, and I, I engage with things more mentally. That's just, I don't, I don't do physical stuff. Like that's not me. And um, <clears throat> one of the things my mom was talking about was like the samurai, right? And part of being a samurai was like, not only were you trained in at least one or two weapons um, and, and martial arts, right? Because you were a soldier, um, but you were also expected as a samurai to learn an art, to master an art. You were expected to be a master painter, a master flutist, a master of some sort of art. Um, and that that was part of being a samurai. That was part of the expectation. Um, and so, um, and that didn't really sink in for me until much later, until I moved out to Utah, actually. Um, and I started really missing that opportunity that I had to attend a free martial arts class that was like actually really good. 
<laughs> and uh, and so like I, I've I've since been able to to get into some other things out here. Um, but yeah, it was a realization I had at one point that like I I had been running from this very physical aspect of myself. Um, where, where I am very combative and I, I, I like to, I get in arguments on Facebook because it's fun um, sometimes. And I, I, I like having discussions and, and engaging um, in, in a kind of combat, I guess, uh, mentally. But then I, I began to realize that that also translates into something about me physically, which I've always run from, is, it, is that I do tend to react kind of violently. Um, if I'm not in control of myself. And so um, my, my problem with martial arts is that I'd always been running from that feeling, right? I, I, I'd always been like, no, like, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to engage with that. I'm going to suppress it. I'm not going to deal with it. Rather than recognizing it as a part of myself and saying, okay, like, how do I manage this? How do I, how do I understand it and work with it, right? How, how do I accept that, like, you know, this is my default. My default is to, like, want to punch something, um, so how do I learn to understand that feeling and um, like handle it in a way that's healthy rather than trying to suppress it and say, no, I'm, I'm not gonna feel this feeling. Um, and, and that was super important for me personally. And I think it's, it's valuable for everyone to, to recognize that, that we are physical people. And I, I know we've talked about this, Brett, a lot about how um, like it, it kind of sucks that people just like don't fight as much and um, well, one of my favorite myths is, is the Epic of Gilgamesh, um, in which one of the pivotal moments is when these two people who are presented the, at the beginning of the poem as enemies, as people who are destined to like fight and kill each other, um, have this huge knockdown drag out fight. The, these two demigods have this massive fight and they get up and shake hands and they're best buds for like as long as they're both alive, which isn't super long, but still it's great. Um, you know, and, and that's something that we're missing as a society is, is honorable, honest, like physical altercations. I, I totally agree. And the interesting thing is that the decline of the physicality has not even been commensurate with an increase in uh, in intelligence, you know, that would be one thing. It's like, okay, well, we're sacrificing this, but we're getting smarter because that's not the case. Like we're not getting smarter. It's like both of those are going down, you know, our, yeah. our physical uh, control and capabilities along with our, our mental faculties have declined because we see that. I mean, there's just a, a news story about in Louisiana, like a week of of bad fighting in high school, like knock down, kicking people when they're down, stomping on, just bad fighting. And these dads came in and stepped up to, to help mitigate that. But when I was in high school, uh, we used to fight a lot. And I had no animosity towards any of the people I got in a fist fight with. It was the same kind of thing, very honorable, shake hands afterwards, you know, no, no problems. Uh, we didn't have any violence in the school, uh, you know, beyond fist fighting. No guns, no knives, you know, nothing like that. Right. But we're seeing a lot of of these things, and and I feel like that now kids can't 
can't deal with things at uh, an appropriate level. Because if you do get in a fistfight school now, oh, you're going to get sued. You're going to get expelled. You know, you're all, all the stuff. And then these kids, they just lash out at each other online with the cyberbullying or whatever. And then these kids are like, okay, fine. I guess I will, you know, just uh, escalate this to, to 100. Uh, because if I'm going to get punished for, you know, just getting a fistfight, I might as well do worse than that. Um, so yeah. it's really sad. I, I would love to see some sort of uh, program in school that, that could help these kids. And of course, you know, you're going to get these little kids who just can't uh, fight these, these bigger bullies. Uh, but that's when you have a champion. It's like, no, he's going to fight in my stead. And even you, you know, you weren't super jazzed about martial arts at first. But at least your mom said, hey, no, you know, stick with it for a little bit. And I think that would be so valuable for kids. Uh, and it doesn't have to be boxing or Muay Thai. Like it could be jujitsu. It could be, you know, Taekwondo, whatever, uh, just to give them a, a little bit of confidence. Because the more you know how to fight, the less likely you are to actually be in a fight. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's kind of like... Um... I took a, a gun safety course for, for my concealed carry. And there, one of the things that they talked about in, in that course was the importance of exposure of, you know, part of the reason that, um, that like so many shootings happen and things like that is because they, you know, they happen in areas or, or with people who do not have a healthy relationship with firearms, right? More often than not, they happen because people don't know, you know, at least accidental like gun deaths and things like that. Um, you know, moments when a, when a child just like is playing with a gun because they don't know what it's for, right? Or, or they're not aware of it. Um, like things happen because we're, we're, we as people are afraid of this violent like death causing thing. And so we're like, I'm not gonna talk about it. I'm gonna hide it. I'm not gonna, like, we're gonna completely avoid this thing rather than saying, here it is, this is how you use it. This is how you use it safely. This is what it's for. Um, and as you begin to understand the weapon, um, you can interact with it in a healthy way, right? And so, um, and, and that's that's a big thing for me is like, I don't know, throughout history, like life is dangerous. The world is dangerous. Um, like. I grew up with with daggers that were just like sitting on my mom's closet and I knew they were there and but I knew they were dangerous and I knew how they worked and I I, I knew that like at that age it, it wasn't my time to like play with them and so I, I I would take them out and I'd look at them I'd be like oh this looks so cool and then I'd put it back because I knew that that was that was as far as I could push that um and that's because I grew up in an environment that that taught me how to handle that um, and, and so from, you know, if, if you work with people from a very early age to say, you know, to help them understand, um, how to deal with dangerous items, um, safely, they're going to be a lot more likely to have a healthy interaction and respect for, um, you know, whether it's guns or swords or whatever. Um, I just, I, so, so the martial arts that I do right now is HEMA which is historical European martial arts. And we just had a cutting practice and we spent a good hour of our two hour class talking about safety precautions. 
of like, hey, we have a table that's just full of really, really sharp swords. Um, this is how we're going to handle that. <laughs> and, and making sure that we were, we were dealing with it safely and working with these weapons that are very deadly safely. Um, and that was a super important aspect of the practice. And while it took forever, it was useful and helpful for handling them in a way that was healthy and safe. Man, that is so cool. I, you know, I, I love swords. I grew up just in love with the idea of swordsmanship. And I remember nine years old, I would go outside and I'd find a stick or something and I would be twirling around and pretending to, to fight bad guys. And it was so funny because anytime I was working with my dad and you know, doing woodwork or whatever, I'd get like anything, a stick, a hammer, and I'd always like start fighting. And it was so funny and it, it drove him nuts, but it, it really helped me get in shape. And uh, it was so, so formative for me. And, and that was cool because I was reading all these books, these Arthurian legends, uh, Lord of the Rings, whatever. And it was just, it was so inspiring. It's like, no, I, I want to, to be able to do those things. And, and so that's another interesting separation, which I, I feel like society has kind of thrust upon young people, is that you know, people who do enjoy these myths uh, or these legends or um, these medieval or, or fantastical stories are often kind of uh, forced into the box of, oh, you're a nerd, you know, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, like that, that's like the cool thing, you know, reading about fighting and stuff. But it also, you know, like people who are into that, it's like, well, you know, uh, that swordsman that night, he probably wouldn't be collecting Funko Pops, you know, he wouldn't be, you know, eating, <laughs> A whole bag of Doritos, you know, it's, it's like, yeah. so you have to live up to, to both of, of those. Uh, I think that's cool. So, so tell me more about uh, historical European martial arts, because that's something I've wanted to get into. It's pretty uh, hard to find, at least where I am. So t tell me about that. Yeah, so I actually, um, so historical European martial arts as a background is basically um, covers pretty much anything um, if there is a manual from Europe uh, that involves combat in like, I, I can't remember what the exact range that they consider like historical, but pretty much if, if there's a manual about it from Europe in, in any time that's not like, like before, I guess, the late 1800s, um, and even then there's a little bit of wiggle room, um, but just in general, if it's old enough to be considered history, it's about combat and it's from Europe, you can study it, right? Um, and so there, there are people who um, study like, um, well, one of the more popular things is like longsword, right? That's where a lot of people start because it's um, the, the body mechanics are, are easier to learn. Um, it's easier to do it well and right and have good form because your, your whole body is locked into this two-handed sword um but like there are treatises on wrestling and knife fighting and spears and um great sword which is really fun uh and, and that's something that i'm looking to to get into um and and a lot of other things and, and basically the idea is just to learn about um 
the way that people fought with these weapons that we we typically uh, associate with with kind of fantasy and um, and European history, um, and it, it it's really interesting and cool um, because to me part of the reason I like it so much is there is with with my school there is a very intense focus on um, engaging with the history as well as the martial art. It's not just, you know, we're not just a fencing club. We don't just get together and learn how to fight with swords. That's a big part of what we do. Um, but part of advancing and, and becoming more skilled in HEMA in general is an expectation that you are studying and learning from the masters. Um, so as an example, uh, I, I go to this, um, the, the fencing club that I go to is called True Edge Academy. It's one of the first official um, or, or like actual like thought out HEMA clubs. Um, and, you, you know, so like a lot of the resources that a lot of people rely on were started by members of Dredge Academy. So a uh, Wiktenauer is a really popular one for like, uh, it's just a Wikipedia basically of like European treatises on fighting um, that was started by Dredge Academy. Um, the translation of Lichtenauer's recital, which is um, a really central document to German, to like the German sword fighting tradition. Um, the, that there's a, a compilation of various different translations that like got put together into a single book. Um, that, that was a project that was done by members of Turage Academy. Um, but that's a big part of it. It's not just about um, the weapons, it's about the scholarship behind them and engaging with both of those. Um, and so we spend a lot of time, not only like, like physically working with the sword, um, and sparring and, and, and fighting, but we also spend time reading these old manuals and trying to figure out, oh, well, like this is worded kind of obscurely. Does it mean this? What are other scholars saying about the way this, that, that this line is interpreted? What's like, you know, trying to figure out what exactly they're saying and, and, and understand it. Um, and that's something I really like about it because it encourages independent learning, right? The idea is that eventually, like, I can get to a point where, like, I understand the history enough that I can engage with HEMA, with historical European martial arts, in, in a way that is both scholarly and effective, and I can do that independently on my own, theoretically. Uh, I'm not to that point yet. <laughs> I have just barely started, but that's the goal, right, is that I, I understand both the, the physicality and the scholarly aspect of this tradition to the point where I can, you know, hopefully teach others and learn on my own and continue to grow and develop without necessarily needing an instructor, like looking over my shoulder the whole time. I love that. When, when I was in high school, I was still really into swords and, and that's when I started boxing and, and uh, training jujitsu and uh, a couple of my buddies who, and we, you know, not only boxed uh, officially, but you know, gone gone some some street fights and things like that. We discovered a, a couple of our other friends, and you know, they were kind of like the quote unquote nerd group, like the theater kids. You know, didn't do any sports. You know, weren't weren't super in shape, but they got together every week at the park, and they had these like foam and PVC pipe and duct tape swords. And I'm like, man, that's so cool. And so we would join them and we would just fight with them. And that's like, that was such a great tradition because it is good exercise and it, and it is fighting and, and you're learning 
And uh, even now, my daughter, she's six, and, and I've got her really into that. So, you know, I've got some PVC pipe and, and uh, pool noodle and duct tape swords, and we just go and fight with those. And you, you took a, a, a gun safety course. And the cool thing about that, whether you're learning a martial art, uh, whether you're training with firearms, whether you're training with, with swords, is that all translates to being more physically capable. And there's a huge degree of, uh, of mental strength that comes with that. Because now, you know, you are much better suited to protect your family, even if you didn't have a great sword. If you picked up you know, a piece of rebar, you would be more capable with it than if you didn't have that training. Yeah. And that's that's the really cool thing is that like even you know what I think martial arts does in general is it teaches you awareness right because like I'm, I'm never going to use a sword right it, it's an it's an outdated martial art right? like there, there is no context in which I could legitimately see myself just like have having a long sword on my hip um often enough for that to be important or effective right um but like a lot of the things that I'm doing do translate. They, you, you, you know, I, one of the most important things about fighting with a sword is understanding distance because on a, on a four foot piece of metal, you have about this much that is actually effective to cut with um, because you need so much leverage. You need, you, you know, a certain amount of force and leverage and, and all the physics that go into it mean that you don't have a lot of space that is effective for the actual cut. And so you need to know, you need to be in the exact right distance to get that cut exactly where you want it um, or adapt to whatever distance you're at, right? And distancing is a super important part of anything. Right? Being able to gauge distance is an important part of, of self-defense in general, right? Um, when, when I've done, I, I did karate when I was a kid, right? That was, that was what my mom forced me into. Um, and distance was really important there. Um, I, I have not seen a martial art. I have not seen any kind of fighting where like you don't care if you're at the right distance or not. <laughs> um, and so even though I'm training in this obsolete martial art, um, as you said, I'm still training my mind, right? Um, I, I'm still learning to think like a martial artist. And, and I think that's what matters and, and what's really important. And, and you could you could even do that if you train in like capoeira or something, right? right? Um, and, and a lot of people like to make fun of Kapoor, and I, I can see why, but it's still like, like the, the core aspect of training yourself to be aware and physically understanding yourself and your body so that you can have yourself in a, in a solid stance where you, where you can do whatever you need to do, right? That's going to translate across whatever you do. And so as long as you're doing something that, that draws you, that, you know, that you can like be attracted to that you want to continue doing right that's the martial art that's going to be the most effective for you because if you're doing something you don't want to do um you're not going to learn anything from it um and yeah it's really cool you mentioned that uh like you know your friends who are all like kind of nerds and and, and did things because they liked fantasy that's the cool thing about Hema that i really like is that most of the people that i'm there with are, are other guys who just really like lord of the rings and stuff and so we all just want to learn how to fight with swords uh, I joke with one of my friends, his name is Patrick, about um, like 
you know, wielding a great sword, which is this big, you know, big heavy sword, you know, you think like the Scottish Claymore kind of thing. There's some debate about that, but like, you know, these, these really big swords and it's just like, you know, you know, he, he would joke that like, yeah, this is about as close to being an anime protagonist as you're going to get like, <laughs> you know, like, like Final Fantasy seven, not super feasible, but like, this is, this is the closest thing that you can get to it. And it's a lot of, um, and so it has that draw, but in being drawn by, by all the cool, um, you know, kind of speculative fiction that, that we have access to it, this is a way of, of using that to learn new things and to become better as people. And I, I really like that about it. Man, that's so cool. I, I love that. And what that did for me, I got into uh, Japanese swordsmanship. I had a master trainer. Uh, his wife was a member of the church in, in my hometown. So I trained with him a lot. My, my brother ended up living in Japan for several years. And, and I, I just really like that culture. Like you were talking about that, that uh, samurai culture and Bushido and, and it's awesome. But I think that the, the European side of swordsmanship gets overlooked so much uh, in, in popular culture you know, I, out, outside of fantasy, but yeah, like you mentioned, there's a lot of focus on, on the, uh, the Asian side of swordsmanship. And there's some great stuff out of there, like, uh, Eskrima and, and Kali and, and, uh, things like that stick fighting. But I, I love, I love all like the falchions and the long swords and, and the great swords. So what do you have a, a favorite, uh, European, uh, historical weapon um right now it, it's it's probably um great sword I, I just really like it it's it is probably the least practical um but the way that it's designed and the way that you fight with it is really interesting um just because it it's so fundamentally different from everything else the the idea of a great sword is that you have a really big thing um that you swing really really fast <laughs> And um, it's funny because like a lot of the things that you have to unlearn coming from like a kind of fantastical slash anime, whatever background of like, oh, like, you know, you don't want to be flourishing and spinning your sword around ridiculously, right? You want to be efficient. You want to hit the thing as quickly as you can, right? You want to get in there. You want to hit it. You want to be efficient. You want to conserve all the energy you can so that you can do as much as possible. Um, that all kind of gets thrown out the window with greatsword because if you don't use the right amount of energy, you're not going to move the sword. Um, and so the idea of greatsword is that you create kind of an area of denial um, where you are just, you, you know, like greatswords were usually used by bodyguards typically um, in, in most urban settings. And so like you have a thing that you're trying to guard and you just kind of spin your sword around the thing you're trying to guard and anyone who comes into your zone of denial is probably dead <laughs> um, because you have this big sword. And if you stop moving it, you're not going to get it started again. Uh, and so you have to rely on keeping it continuously moving all the time um, and adapting to your surroundings, obviously. But um, the, the goal of the great sword is to keep people away more than it is to like actually hurt and injure people which is really interesting to me and it it does it changes the way that you fight with it man that's so cool i i definitely need to get into it there is a, a hema school uh 
not not too far away in, in Tacoma. But even for people who just don't have access to that, I, I assume that there's plenty of resources on YouTube where you could just learn some very basic swordsmanship. Oh yeah, there's a ton. And honestly, like if, if you want to get into it, um, I, I mentioned this before, but um, so Wiktionauer is um, the wiki that has a lot of treatises um, on using the longsword. If you, uh, on, on using pretty much any weapon that you can find a treatise on, honestly. Um, anything you want to learn, you can find there. And if you couple that with, you know, resources from YouTube and, and various places, um, like you can learn a lot just by, just by kind of doing that research. I go to a club because one, I can spar people, which is important for learning and like actually applying the things that you learn. Um, and I also just learn better in environments with other people. I, I have a really hard time making sure that I am actually learning from a book. Um, but if you can do that, there are tons of resources. Yeah, there, there are tons of people on YouTube who talk about this stuff. Um, and if you combine that with like going to the actual primary sources and, and looking at the source material, um, you can learn a lot just by kind of researching on your own. And that's how a lot of this started, right? Was people just kind of reading the source material and trying to figure out what they meant. <laughs> that's way cool. So you mentioned the Epic of Gilgamesh. What are some other texts or even films that, that you like from uh, a, a hero and a fighter and a, a swordsman standpoint? Um, so I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I, I like to joke that, um, that there, there are two extremes of the literature that I enjoy. One is like super old like stuff. I, I love Gamesh. It's one of my favorite poems. Um, I love Beowulf. It's fantastic. Um, but then I also really like kind of really pulpy sci-fi and fantasy. Um, one that I've been kind of actively pushing on pretty much everyone I meet right now is called Wayfarer. Um, it's, it's very directly inspired by like the Zen tradition in Japan. Um, and, and basically it's a, it's a science fiction that's set on a world where uh, there are these kind of ethereal beings, this alien race of people who um, feed off of negative emotion. And so they encourage these loops in your mind where you start thinking about like all the bad things and, someone, and, and they kind of encourage and feed off of like your hatred and anger and frustration. And so what happens is that like, um, if un left unchecked, like people just go on like these killing rampages because they, they're, they go crazy. Um, cause they're stuck in these like feedback loops of like all of this constant negative emotion. Um, and so the idea is that they eventually, um, you, you know, utilizing some Zen principles and stuff, figure out a way to at first subdue it and eventually actually combat and overcome these kind of un invisible oppressors. Um, and it's, it's one of the best treatises on Zen that I have ever read because, uh, I, I joke that. If, if you want to know what makes a bad 
uh, discussion of Zen. Uh, it's anyone who tries to explain what Zen is. Uh, if, if you try to explain what Zen is, you have already failed, right? That's kind of the point of Zen. Um, and so the, the best place that you're going to find is in stories. Um, and so I really like Wayfarer for that reason. It is about someone who, who basically learns what, what he calls the way of the sword, right? And through learning the way of the sword, he is able to um, learn about himself and learn about the world around him. And there's a lot of discussion about what it means to, to approach that, that state of kind of actualization, right? Um, at the same time as like being a, a cool action sci-fi novel. Um, what else? Uh, something, one thing that was, this is more of a, a specific scene, but um, this is gonna be really cheesy. I love Pacific Rim. It is a fantastic film. Um, and the thing that sticks out to me the most about it, and, and going back to the thing that we talked about, combat being important and healthy and, and having physical altercations. Um, the thing that I love the most about that movie is the scene where um, he's trying, uh, like the main character is trying to find like the person who he can ride in his giant mech with, right? Because um, you have to have two people because the neural load is too much. It's going to fry your brain. So you need to have two people to share that load. And so you need someone who you can share a brain with. Um, and the way they find out how to share a brain with someone who, who is good to share a brain with is you fight. <laughs> you get a stick and you fight. And if you have a good fight, that means you're, you're drift compatible and you can share brains and it, it's good. Um, and I love that. Um, because having, you know, I, I didn't really spar when I was a kid. And so having started sparring, that's something I've learned a lot is that you do, um, like I consider it a good exchange when, not when I beat my opponent right away, but when me and my opponent actually have some back and forth and we can adapt and change to each other and we have a good rhythm going. And then one of us finds an opening and just takes advantage of it, right? That's a good exchange for me because we can both have fun and, and we both kind of, connect in that way, right? Um, and so I, I love Pacific Rim for that. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot and it's, it's hard to think of at this exact moment. Um, no, you're good. What about from a, a historical standpoint? Are, are there any like good sword fight scenes that, that come to mind that's like, oh yeah, that, that's pretty legit. That one's a lot harder um, just because there, there's kind of a balance between um, like rule of cool in film and, and what works. Um, honestly, one of the things that I love is like the, the fight scenes in the original Star Wars trilogy, right? And, and a lot of people know this already, but um, so the person in the Vader suit for the fight scenes is uh, it. For, for the original trilogy was like the most renowned American fencer of the time. Like, like he was the guy for fencing in America and they got him to choreograph the fights and to be Vader for those fight scenes. Um, and so those fights are some of the most realistic that you can get with actors, right? Um, and, and there's some concern there, right? Because they are actors and so they have to simplify things a lot. Um, but it's, it's really solid in terms of that. Um, Christopher Lee is another good example of an actor who, um, because of his immense background in fencing, 
like in in the Star Wars prequels, like he does a really good job of demonstrating legitimate sword fighting tactics um, that you would actually see, especially with a lightsaber. Um, and in the Star Wars context, um, because it, it's it, it's a really good stabbing weapon in a lot of ways. And so the fact that Christopher Lee uses it as a rapier, because that is what he is trained in, um, makes a lot of sense. Um, other than that, not a ton comes to mind, honestly, um, in terms of good historical uh, combat. Um, if, if you want solid things, I think the, a, a good place to go in general is... Um, classical like a really classical fantasy film so like or not fantasy but like robin hood like the the errol flynn robin hood um is is still a lot um it's it's more fencing right it's it's more rapier combat uh um you know kind of very extended uh faster whippier combat but it's still really good um productions of ivanhoe uh have some really interesting combat that i like um, Ivanhoe is just a, it's, it's a good story in general. Um, if you haven't seen Ivanhoe or, or read it, I, I tried to read it. I couldn't get through it. He's just a little too heavy for me. Um, but uh, the movies are, are really interesting and good. And um, they're very complex. They're very complex and difficult and painful in a lot of ways. Um, but they're, they're very compelling. And um they, they also have really good um, combat. I don't know about the historicity of them because I haven't seen them in forever, but they're really interesting. Man, that's super cool. And, and you mentioned Christopher Lee, who, who is obviously also in uh, the, the Lord of the Rings films. Mm -hmm. And cool thing about him, you probably know this, but he was British SAS. Yeah, so he was like legitimately killing dudes. Yeah. He, he was the guy who inspired James Bond. That's as, as far as we know, his like, as, as I understand it, like he had a relative, his relative wrote the James Bond books based off of Christopher Lee. Like, like he was the dude that inspired like this phenomenal character that is everlasting in human memory at this point. Yeah, man, it, it's awesome. And, and like you said, you know, obviously, the things that are real aren't always going to to look good on, on film or television. So you kind of have to take those fight scenes in, in movies and, and films with a grain of salt, but, but it is cool. And I think, especially now, I think they are trying to lean more towards making things like look uh, more realistic, more legitimate. And, and there's certainly training actors uh, more and more in these combat sports uh, or yeah. in these disciplines. Um, no, that's way cool. So what's sparring like? Because I, I assume you're not using the actual bladed <laughs> weapons. What, what do you do? Um, so we actually, um, this is really cool. The, the swords that we train with, we, we use seal swords in my school. Um, not all schools do, but um, turns out they're actually a lot safer than some of the, the like plastic options that you have out there because um, they'll have a much wider surface area. And so um, they can actually like hurt more and like have a higher likelihood of breaking bones than one of our, our steel swords. Um, but we train mostly in the German tradition and we use what's called a Fetterschwert, 
which is just it's just German for a training sword. Um, and these are historical swords that they are they are made as they would have been made in like the I think 15th or 16th century. I could be wrong there, um, but it's a it's it's a steel sword. Um, it's the blade is a little thinner and rounded. It's not it's it's not designed to be sharpened. You can't sharpen it unless I guess you you tried really hard. Like you can put it on on any, you can put an edge on anything if you want, right? But like they are not designed to have an edge. Um, they're a little thinner, a little narrower. Their tip is rolled, so you can't stab anyone with them. Um, and the idea is that like the weight is distributed enough and and is proportioned so that it feels like you're using an actual sword. Um, combined with that, we have you know really thick. It's called gambeson jackets, um, which are just super padded. They've got a lot of like wool and stuff inside them. They're really hot. <laughs> um, uh, we use regular fencing masks usually with like a, a back of the head overlay just for for safety to make sure that if if you get hit in the back of the head, it could happen. It's it's not normal, but it could happen. So if you get hit in the back of the head, um, you have protection there. Uh, there there are kind of there are breaches that go about to the knee. They're also padded. Um, and then you wear shin guards, arm guards, all that stuff. So we're, we're super padded up. Um, it's, you can still get injured, but it's a lot less likely. Um, and so, yeah, sparring is interesting because um, there is a really interesting push and pull between getting hurt and like being protected. Um, with sword fighting, it's really easy to forget to protect yourself because if you get hit, you can feel it, but it doesn't really hurt because you have all this padding. You know, there's not really an option where you where you where you get hit and you're just like, "Ow, that hurt," but I'm not like my bone isn't broken, right? We're still fighting with steel swords, and so like, yeah, you can still break bones and like genuinely hurt people with these things. Um, and so there is kind of a, a mental game that you have to play of making sure that you are constantly thinking about protecting yourself because it's not instinctive. Because if you get hit, it's not gonna hurt. And so you're just like, no, I have to make sure I don't get hit. <laughs> um, and, and that's something that, that I've had to work on and focus on a lot. And it's something that um, like anyone who's starting is going to struggle with because it's really tempting to just be like, okay, like I don't, like I'm just gonna try and hit the other person. That's my goal. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna win. I wanna hit them and I can't win unless I hit the person. Um, and you forget to defend yourself. And in an actual sword fight, right? Theoretically, if we were fighting with sharp swords, um, nobody wins if both people die. <laughs> um, and that's something in uh, sanctioned HEMA tournaments that is really important, actually, is uh, what's called a double. Um, and, and doubles are penalized. Uh, when, when we had a, a tournament uh, a few months ago, um, the way we were running it was that if, if you got three doubles, like the match ended. Um, and the idea is that a double is when both opponents hit each other at the same time. And that's, you know, that's no one's fault. It's, it's everyone's fault. It's, it's both you and your opponent's fault, right? Neither of you were cared enough about protecting yourself to avoid getting hit. And so, yes, you hit the other person, but you did so at great cost. And so the point is moot. There's no points awarded. Um, and if you, if you do, if you get three doubles then the match ends and like, that's it. Um, 
because no one deserves to win that match. Clearly, you're not actually fighting uh, safely or intelligently, right? You're fighting recklessly. Uh, and that's not acceptable. This is a martial art, right? We're not, we're not a sport. We're not here to accumulate points. We're here to, to fight. Um, and so those things matter. I love that. That's super cool. You know, we, we kind of alluded to this earlier where there's this, this uh, disconnect between the, the love of heroics and, and particularly in today's society, super heroics and the people who are fans of that. You know, you get the fat guy who doesn't do any form of martial arts wearing uh, an Iron Man shirt. You know, it's just like there's the cognitive dissonance there. Um, but yeah, like, but in that regard, I think that probably the, the only superhero movies that, that I really connect with were the, uh, the Batman trilogy with, with Christian Bale. And that reminded me of the first one where he's, he's training on the ice in, in kind of like the, the way of the ninja and they're sword fighting and he knocks Ra's al Ghul down and he, you know, put points his sword at him and he tells him to yield. And Rosal goes like, you haven't beaten me. You've sacrificed your footing for a killing blow. And he breaks the ice under <laughs> yeah. him. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's what that reminded me of. So that, that's cool. I'm glad that, that you're seeing that because obviously you have to protect yourself. And that's one of the things that the referees say to people in, before a boxing match. You know, it's like protect yourselves at all times. Um, and one of the things that I think is important in today's society is you also have to protect your opponent, particularly in sparring. But even in a real fight, I mean, short of fighting for your life, um, which is good to, to think about any fight, is you're not trying to necessarily maim or cripple uh, or kill your opponent if it's just a, a little scuffle. And, and, and that's where it comes in, because I think that people who are untrained aren't good at regulating yeah. the, their emotions uh, or, or their attacks. Uh, very rarely, I, I've trained at tons of MMA and, and boxing and jujitsu places where I've lived all over the country, and I, I've never had a bad experience with someone who is well trained and a jerk. You know, you, you'll see it sometimes, but I'm sure in in Hema, like everyone you train with, they, they sound like good dudes. Is that what you're seeing? That they're pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, people are pretty conscious, and and there's a really heavy vetting process before. Um, you know, I feel like this is the case with most martial arts um, clubs and, and studios is that um, like, so in our studio, the way that it works is that you have to be approved to spar by each of the instructors before you can spar with anyone else. Um, and so like our head instructor, like will get very detailed with you and they'll say like, okay, like, like when we were sparring, um, at one point I was going too light. And so I tried to overcompensate for that. And I, I went a little too hard and he was like, Hey, look, we're going to pause for a second. You're going a little too hard. If I see you doing that with anyone else, that's why I'm going to stop you and say, you don't get to spar anymore. All right. So we're going to, we're going to tone that back a little bit. Um, and, and that way they can make sure that everyone who's sparring is kind of on the same page about what they're doing. Um, because it should be a learning experience. Um, and I think it's the same thing for, for regular combat, just like you're saying, right? You need to be aware of your opponent, right? Even if, if, if you're fighting out of anger or, or, or some, you know, if, if there's some kind of emotional altercation um, or, or something is going on that, that you know, you know for, for whatever reason you're, you're having a fight, um, you should never be fighting when you're so consumed that you can't be aware of the other person. 
and that you can't um, be able to kind of come back from that and say like, and, and take care of them and make sure that like, if, if anything genuinely bad happens that, you, you know, or, or you're able ideally to stop before anything genuinely bad happens, right? You can say, all right, like we've had enough. It's, it's time to end this, we're, we're done. Um, and I think a lot of, of learning combat is learning to do that, is learning how to do that in a way that is healthy and safe. I totally agree. And, and you were talking about that, that movie where you know, to, to find someone, uh, you know, that you can share a brain with you, have them fight. And that reminded me growing up, uh, one of my best friends, he and I would fight all the time, uh, fist fight, you know, jujitsu uh, with our, our uh, foam swords. And we would go for like hours, like with these foam swords, like we would just fight and none, neither of us could get a hit on each other just because we knew each other so well. And yeah, um, Man, that, that's so cool. I, I wish that, or I, I hope that we can see more of that emerging. And, you know, I think you mentioned firearms earlier. Firearms is, is so important to train with. You see other countries where they you know, have uh, very strict gun laws and they still have violence problems. Just last week, there was that bow and arrow attack in Norway. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you'll, whether it's knives or guns or cars or whatever uh, there are people out there who have no qualms about hurting other people so you definitely have to to train and like you said you're, you're probably not going to walk around uh, with you know a, a broadsword on your hip um, but just knowing how to to train like that translates to every facet of life physical mental spiritual certainly um, yeah but you know, you're a tall, well-built dude. I seeing you swinging a, a great sword around that would be super intimidating. <laughs> yeah, it's that's the point, right? It's it's supposed to be intimidating, but it's it's really good, I think, for you, you know. And I, I kind of feel like maybe we're we're starting to see more of that as. Um, as we as a society begin to realize that the direction that we're going in isn't healthy, right? As we begin to realize that we need to be physically active, that we need to engage with things and that we, we are like, we're fighters. Like as, as humanity, we, we are hunters. That's what we're designed to do. We're supposed to hunt. Um, we're, we're supposed to defend ourselves and to fight. Um, and I don't think that instinct is going anywhere. <laughs> um, I, I really don't see it changing anytime soon. And so, um, at least in my experience, it, it does seem like people are becoming more open to the idea of martial arts, um, at least for that, at least for recognizing that, you know what, like I need to learn to defend myself, right? Um, and that's not always good, right? There are a lot of people who prey on that, who, who will pretty much scam you with ineffective and, and bad martial arts. Like genuinely bad um, <laughs> in the name of self-defense. Uh, but there's still a lot of good to being willing to recognize that that is part of the human experience. That part of the human experience is, to put it bluntly, violence. Um, and that we need to learn how to handle that and not try to deny it or prevent it necessarily. Um, because it's not going away anytime soon. 
Yeah, no, totally. And we were talking about uh, the the gospel earlier. I mean, you look at the Old Testament, lots of fighting going on. You look at the New Testament, Peter's drawing his sword on on the guards trying to take away Jesus, and he's drawing blood. And and Christ Himself said, "I have not come to bring peace, but a sword." And 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 that's that's really cool. And I want to be careful not to romanticize it too much because. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everyone that we fight against is our brother and sister. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I always say to people that when you learn to fight, you know, you're learning to you know kick someone's butt, and the first butt you have to kick is is your own. And I, I think that's true in life. Um, the Book of Mormon also we see a, a lot of cool swordsmanship. Uh, Ammon, in particular, oh yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Well, yeah, that was one of the most interesting things to me. I remember I, uh, I've always struggled with scripture study. Like it's, it's just not something I'm good at, something I'm working on, but um, it's something I've always struggled with. But one of the things that was really pivotal for me um, in, in getting me to really engage with the scriptures was um, I was on an EFY uh, back when it was still EFY. Um, it, was, it was in Palmyra and we got to, we, we did scripture study in the sacred growth. Um, and, and so this story is going to sound a little dissonant, honestly, but I, I sat down and I, I was in the sacred grove. I'm expecting to have this super spiritual experience. Um, and so you think, oh, well, like I'm going to read like Moroni 10 or something, right. I'm, I'm going to read Alma 41 or, or one of those just really, you know, spiritual doctrinal no no i opened it up randomly to like the chapters and the first thing i read is captain moroni chewing out paharan for not like you know helping him out and and that that exchange between captain moroni and paharan or paharan or however you want to pronounce it um and i was and i was so engaged i was like this is so cool this is so engaging it's interesting like this is a story and i can read this story and it was the first time that it ever happened to me where i was able to read scriptures and see something that I could relate to and connect with um and I loved it um and so I I think that speaks to something really important um this is a this is another really cheesy example but um I really love the movie Solomon Cain (laughs) um for the same reason right you have this this guy who um has renounced violence because he associates violence with hell right he was he was a fallen man and, you know, when, when presented with his own sins, he ran and said, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore because I, it, it will condemn me, right? I am damned. And he is, he's placed in a situation where he has to defend a family. Um, and, you know, he, he asks the Lord for forgiveness and, you know, picks up a sword and beats off these bandits. Um, and the thing that he learns over the course of this film is that, like, that's part of his responsibility, right? He is a fighter. And, and he's, you know, at one point he, he was fighting for the wrong reasons, but he's still a fighter and that's still his job and that's still a part of who he is, right? Um, and to me, that was, that was so important and vital to recognize this, this spiritual aspect to, to combat into fighting, you know, to recognize the importance of, of the number of times when the Lord has asked us to defend 
um, the things that we believe in um, and has used violent metaphors to do so. And, and the times when like that violence has literally been called for, right? Um, and that's not always the case. I am I'm the first to, to admit that we have often been violent when it's not called for. <laughs> um, and I'm not gonna deny that aspect of our history, but that doesn't mean we have to throw out um, an important part of the, of again, what I think is the human experience of, you know, sometimes you need to physically defend the people and things that matter to you. Absolutely. And, and just knowing how, like, even if you never have to, it just makes you a better person. Yeah. It, it, you're you're going to be better. You're going to be sharper mentally. You're going to be in better shape. You're going to feel better. Uh, you're going to get more confident, so many things. And, and we see this uh, throughout the scriptures, in particular, the Book of Mormon, uh, with, with the people of Ammon. It's, it's interesting that Ammon, he kind of spoke in their language you know, as a servant to King Lamoni. He decimates these bandits, cuts off their arms and, and kills their leader. And they understood that because they were a violent, warlike people. I'm like, oh, man, this guy is legit. And then yeah. after they're converted, they're like, you know what? We've actually been way more violent than, than was requisite. So we're going to bury our weapons and make a, a covenant of, of uh, peace for good. And a lot of them lost their lives over it. And But that was the right thing for them to do. And then the Nephites are like, wow, those guys are really taking it seriously. We haven't made the same covenant, so let's go and defend them. And even their sons are like, you know what? Uh, it's not right. The Nephites should just have to sacrifice themselves for us. We didn't make that covenant. So we're going to go. And then they are, you know, basically immortal fighters and uh, yeah. be because of their faith. And then their dads probably still struggling with that. Or like, well, you know, we got to keep this covenant, but we can give them provision. So they bring them some food and, you know, get them scored away. So there's, there's a job for everybody. Yeah. And, and that was, I, I think that's something that's really important to recognize as well is that, you, you know, we're here talking about the importance of combat and, and kind of being physical and being willing to be physical and knowing how to be physical safely and healthily. Um, it, it's important to recognize that that's not for everyone, right? That even as I say that it's part of the human experience, right? The human experience is not universal. Um, and so like my mother, uh, you know, part of the reason that she put, you know, kind of pushed me into karate was so that she could do it like she really wanted to um but you know when I was like 17 or 18 she kind of came to the conclusion and 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 kind of had a, a spiritual realization that that wasn't for her anymore that that she was not supposed to do that um and that that was something that she had to give up um and and that's something that she had to do and that was very hard for her right um and I think that's yeah, that's, that's important to recognize is that um, with everything, it's really important that you spend time thinking about what matters to you and, and what works for you. Because what works for you might not work for someone else. I love Hema. Hema is not for everyone. I 100% accept that and believe that, right? My wife did Taekwondo for a while, and she said the most effective thing about, about Taekwondo was learning how to get hit. Hema is not going to teach you that. Because like, if you get hit in HEMA, the same way you get hit in Taekwondo, you lose an arm, like that's, that's not good. <laughs> um, and so we have all this padding and safety stuff so that we don't break bones and we don't get bruised as much. 
Um, and so if that's what you're trying to learn, then like you need to do something else. Um, you know, and so it's really important to pay attention to what works for you, what you can do, but it's important to think about that, right? And to actually be aware of yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the cool thing is that we were talking about Captain Moroni, who is this, this uh, the paragon of, of manliness, and it, which is cool, you know, just reading in Alma 48 it says, and Moroni was a strong and a mighty man. So there's the physical. He was a man of perfect understanding. There's the mental. Yea, a man that did not delight in the shedding of blood. A man whose soul did joy in the liberty and freedom of his country and his brethren from bondage and slavery. Yea, a man whose heart did swell with thanksgiving to his God for the many privileges and blessings which he bestowed upon his people. So we, we see that, that kind of dichotomy. You know, he's strong and mighty. He's intelligent, doesn't delight in bloodshed, but he does delight in the freedom uh, which often necessitates war. Uh, yeah very grateful. And then right after that, he was a man who was firm in the faith of Christ. And he had sworn with an oath to defend his people, his rights and his country and his religion, even to the loss of his blood, which is cool because he's, he doesn't like shedding other people's blood, but he's willing to, to have his own, his own blood spilt. And it says, now the Nephites were taught to defend themselves against their enemies, even to the shedding of blood, if it were necessary. Yea, and they were also taught never to give an offense Yea, and never to raise the sword, except it were against an enemy, except it were to preserve their lives. And this is, to your point, verse 17, which is well known. Yea, verily, verily, I say unto you, if all men had been and were and ever would be like unto Moroni, behold, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever. Yea, the devil would never have power over the hearts of the children of men. So right there, it's like, oh man, if I'm not super physical and you know, super capable with the sword, I guess I'm not great. But right after that, it says, behold, he was a man like unto Ammon, another very physical person, the son of Mosiah, yea, and even the other sons of Mosiah. Okay, so you get Aaron and Omer and Himni, who, you know, evidently weren't as, as good with the sword as Ammon, yea, and also Alma and his sons, way more cerebral, Helaman in particular, for they were all men of God. And uh, I think that's super cool. You know, there's room for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, what matters is that you, you consecrate yourself, right? That's what we covenant. That's what we covenant to do. We, con we consecrate everything we have to the Lord. And like, like, like we were talking about it at the very beginning, um, the Lord, no, that's the point of the atonement is that anything we do is enough. One of the things that I really love is, um, you know, we talk about Ether 1227 a lot, right, in the church. Um, the idea that, you know, I, I will make weak things become strong unto them. And I feel like it's really easy to think about that scripture as meaning that, like, you know, you'll get good at the things that you're bad at. <laughs> um, but I had a really interesting experience. I was helping, uh, I was tutoring a kid with his religion homework at BYU. And... Um, he was really struggling. And one of the things that we talked about and we were looking at is, and the realization that I had while I was helping him out was that like, when Moroni says that he's like bad at writing, he's not wrong. And that might be like kind of sacrilegious of me to say, um, but like, if you, if you do like a rhetorical analysis 
of, of Ether and Moroni. The dude is bad at writing. He spends the whole time like quaking in his boots, talking about how great his dad is and like hating himself a little bit. Um, and that's reasonable given where he's at. You know, I, I don't want to judge him. I'm not saying that he's a bad person. But what I am saying is that Moroni's concern was very real. It was very real and legitimate um, in that he's not, he's not a good writer. And he's like, I, I can't say all the things that I want to say because I'm not good at writing. And the Lord says, that's okay. I'm going to make the things that you write be enough. And that doesn't mean that he was amazing at writing. What it means is that we read Moroni 10 all the time. It doesn't matter how bad Moroni is writing, he still wrote some of the most important things that you can read in the scriptures. And so, like, yeah, he did a bad job. He, he didn't write well, but the Lord made his writing enough. And so, like, there's a place for us, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much we struggle, there is a place for everything we try to do. That's beautiful. And, you know, just because you're bad at something doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You know, you, you might not be uh, the best dad at first. That doesn't mean you abandon your family. You, might, <laughs> exactly. you, know, yeah. you just get better. You just, you do it. And then the, the Lord can, can make something out of that. That's, that's awesome, man. I, you're so cool, dude. I, I can't wait to see you again. And I definitely want to go to your school and, and, uh, and learn some more swordsmanship from you. Next time, next time you come to Utah, man, we, I'll, I'll take you. Like yeah. it's, it's a really good time. Awesome, um, man. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've kept you so long. This has been a great conversation. Uh, where, where can people find you? You know, I, I know you got some, some, uh, some social media out there. Yeah. So really, the only place that I'm active is on TikTok at so many trees three five six. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm on Instagram, but I don't really use it uh it's the same it's the same handle uh but yeah i i talk about nerd stuff and hema a little bit and just you know what, what, whatever kind of crosses my mind <laughs> um so yeah you can find me there um that's pretty much it honestly well that's great man okay so so many trees as in s-o-m-a-n-y-t-r-e-e-s three five six yep Awesome. We'll, we'll have a link to that in the description, man. So thank you again. And to everyone listening, do the best you can. Even if you're not good at something, the Lord can help you. And uh, don't give up. No matter what, you can get better every day. So until next time, this is Rowan and Brett out. See ya.